Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3pm to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Uh, Folks, let me add my welcome to those who have been given already. It's great to see all of you today. Uh, Thank you for being here. It's good to see you. Here's a question to organize the next few minutes around. How can we change deeply? I, I, could, I could do with that. I have uh, some parts of me, some parts of my life, uh, the outward stuff and the inward stuff uh, that could do with changing. So how should I go about that? Um, imagine you could think through your own life and your own situation. Uh, the stuff that people can see outwardly, the, the performative part of our lives that we can all kind of glance at and we can get a sense for how it's going. But what about those in, inward battles and struggles? What about the, the private pain? What about the private addiction? What about those parts of us that uh, we don't broadcast for the world to see, but we know it needs deep, deep change? How can we change? Uh, thankfully, that's, that's what Paul's going to help us uh, see this afternoon. And for us to be able to see and hear what he has to say, we first need to understand uh, who he was originally writing to in these words, Ephesians 2, 1-10, that Taiwo just read to us so well. The people who originally received the words that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration and authority of the Holy Spirit, delivered to a group of people uh, let, me, let me remind you, perhaps uh, for some of you, tell you for the very first time. The people who would have received the words that we get to study this afternoon, they were formal, former temple prostitutes, they were money launderers, and they were violent criminals. Uh, but not just that. They were from all spheres of society, and they, they had a way of working in all the different domains you could imagine. So what you have this afternoon isn't delivered to one sort of person or another, Uh, We know there's some people with some significant uh, flaws in their life and in their social structures that need change, but it was delivered to everybody. Uh, The people of Ephesus would need dramatic power uh, to change. The Apostle Paul came into this place in Acts chapter 19, started a word ministry, and the Spirit of God started a church through that activity. But people were coming from all sorts of backgrounds, and their lives are going to have to look different if they were going to be the house of God for the sake of the city that God put them in. Um, you're going to hear a little more um, on this, this theme uh, when we get to chapter 4 for me, but let me, just, let me even just flag this here. There's a tendency in some people to want to flee godless areas, areas that have uh, just high concentrations of lost people where it's just everywhere you look, it seems like people are worshiping things other than God. Um, Ephesus was one of the most debauched places imaginable. There were other churches in the broader region that the Apostle Paul could have written a letter to and say, hey, I found another outpost. This place is too far gone. Pack up shop and go move out here. But Paul's strategy is, look, I'm going to equip you. I'm going to skill you. I'm going to resource you where you can be in the hard place. You can live and work amongst people that got a lot of stuff going on in their life. And I'm going to plug you in to the power source for change. 
Something to consider. We'll get into that more in chapter 4. Ephesus. Ephesus was a major cultural center. Had a refined sense of sophistication to kind of gloss over the sin. Maybe you've noticed this in London. Deep heart problems, deep issues, deep social dysfunction. But we have a way of dressing it up. Have a way of making it kind of breeze in and out of the schoolyard when you're dropping the kids off. Have a way of making it not look as gross as it is as we kind of glide off the tube and slide into the office. It's something they had as well. A refined sense of social sophistication to make the many perversions off to the side not seem that intense. It was a major banking center as well. Um, Something of London in there. Uh, The Caesar stored his cash there. Many call Ephesus at the time the economic banking center for the old world. It was a hub for bad guys as well, or baddies if you like. Uh, A quarter mile around the temple perimeter was a safe zone for any convicted felons. Can you imagine? Temple prostitutes, safe zone for convicted felons, like one of the most debauched places in the world. And Paul's writing a letter. You can change. You can be changed. Sex, corruption, pride, and power, they functioned as the center of meaning for people. Don't just hear it from me. Hear it from one of their own philosophers. This is Heraclitus. Heraclitus says, The darkness of vile itself, speaking of the people that live there, he said their morals are lower than the animals, and the inhabitants are only fit to be drowned. That is a pagan philosopher speaking about the people that we're reading about here. Now, why do I bring all this up? You're like, man, I could do it with a boost on a Saturday afternoon, okay? Thank you for the little history commercial. That sounds kind of dark. My life's not that bad, right? That's fine. Maybe, Maybe we're not all the way there, but I guarantee you something. Inside of me and inside of you and inside of each and every one of us is the potential to get there. If it weren't for the grace of God, if it weren't for the formative power of Christian community working on our lives, if it wasn't for bringing ourselves under this word so it can speak to us and help us see who we are and how it's actually going, oh, we could get there. And we have so much to be grateful for. It's a, it's a letter. It's a, it's a paragraph of scripture written to a group of people to help them figure out, like, how are we going to change? Looking around their lives thinking, man, I got a lot going on. And I just think there's something incredibly relevant about that for us. And kind of take up scripture sometimes and you can even come in, come in and out of church. You can be around this thing for a minute and you can walk away thinking to yourself, that's great for them, but my life's a wreck. No, no, no. take heart, my friend. The, these people were, were just as much of a mess as you are. Just as much of a mess as I am. And yet, God sent them some information about how things can be very different. So how can we change Deeply, that's the question. I want you to know Ephesus isn't special. These Christians aren't especially countercultural. Ephesus is a case study in what happened since humanity rejected God. Everything just goes awry. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus to help them remember. And remember is the key and beautiful word all throughout chapter 2. You'll recognize it in verse 11, in verse 13, in verse 19. For now, everything is written to help a group of people remember. And this is helpful because you might sit here this afternoon and be thinking to yourself, well, I'm a Christian. Okay, I'm not not a recovering temple prostitute. Like, that's not my thing. 
what does this have to say to me? No, no, no. Your spiritual history has a lot to do with your spiritual destiny. Remembering where you're coming from has a lot to do with help with where you're going. Remembering where we're from has a, a lot to do with helping us get there in the right way. So we remember a group of people from Acts chapter 19 being made new, but now they are in Christ. And it's time to change. It's time for some of the things they had in their life to fall away. It's time for that new humanity to break through. How are they going to get there? They're going to get there by remembering. So the road to renewal has been going since Genesis chapter 3, when humanity turned their back on God and they rebelled against Him. We've been, we've been walking this road of renewal since then. We even study this text this afternoon with Revelation 21.5 hanging in the back of our minds. Our Lord Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. Let me just sit here and be encouraged. As God's Word is shared with us, the Lord Jesus says over this, I am making all things new. He is making all things new in this room. He's making all things new in our families, in our streets, on our block, and throughout London indeed. He is making all things new. So he's going to tune us in. How do we change? You're going to hear him point back. You're going to hear him point back. You're going to hear him point at God. He does these three things all around remembering. The first thing he shows us is you got to remember we were spiritually dead apart from Jesus Christ. That's what he breaks down in the first three verses that you see there in your Bible. Immediately, the point is offensive to modern sensibilities. The author is not talking about physical death apart from Jesus. He's talking about a spiritual death apart from Jesus that if left unchecked, it will result in a physical and eternal death apart from Jesus. We, we, read, verse, we read these first three verses and we think to ourselves, something just, just doesn't seem right. Uh, maybe someone in here, if you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're here, and I'm delighted you're here. I hope you're encouraged by what, what's even happening right now. But you might hear this and you think to yourself, I'm actually doing all right. Got a little bit of family. Got a little bit of money. Got a few friends. Surely I'm not dead. But my friend, can't you remember, we're more than our jobs. We're more than our families. We are spiritual beings that are disconnected from our God. We're made in the image of God and the likeness of our God. We're designed to relate to God and know Him and love Him. And my friends, we are indeed dead without him. So consider, this is all about how to change, consider how bad it is without God. Verse 1 says we were dead in our sins. Sin is a word that means you missed the mark. There was a target and you did not achieve it. God has a standard of holiness and missing it means death. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all missed this mark. We have all missed this target. We have not achieved this deadline. We have all missed the target of God's holiness, my friends. Romans 6.23 says the wages of that sin is death, but good news, the free gift of God is eternal life. So we don't be discouraged when people don't understand what we might be doing here on a Saturday afternoon. We love people, and we remember people that might not get what's happening in this room. The Bible says they're dead in their sins. Not only that, verse 2 tells us we're slaves to a foreign power. Paul goes on, you once lived this way, following the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air. That can even just sound church speak. It's like, what, but what does that mean? Because the fact of the matter is we work amongst the world as it's meant here. 
I find, I find this, this sentence helpful. This is from David Wells. He says, you can recognize worldliness wherever sin seems acceptable and righteousness seems strange. That's worldliness. And Paul's saying, listen, you are slaves to a foreign power. There is one who runs the world and is, 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 is working his contamination in the world. And Paul says, remember, at one time you were actually his slave. Prince of the power of the air. The ruler or prince is a local regional term referring to a leader. Air is this ubiquitous term, which means it's everywhere. It means this power is everywhere. It's in your bedroom. It's in your kitchen. It's in there with the toilet. Like it's in the room right now. Like it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's not like, oh, well, I went to the pub and I was kind of around. No, it's everywhere. Paul says you were here by nature. It was going to take you resurrection power to be saved. You're going to see that in verse 3. So this was a letter written to a group of people to help form them and shape them. And you can imagine, goodness me, if you're coming from a background of being banged up and being warped by the sin of the world, by searing our own consciences, we're going to need to remember who are we, where are we coming from, how's all this going, and he's just feeding it to us again. Verse 3, he says we were addicted to our desires This is pretty bad. Verse 3, our biggest problem then is not out there. My biggest problem is not that someone doesn't like me or understand me. My biggest problem isn't that there's someone who won't do what I want. This is true of us across the room. Our biggest problem isn't that there's there's not some other philosophy or power out there. Our biggest problem is not a political party or an ideology. Our biggest problem is in here. It is our own sin. We live in an age of narcissism. We long for attention. We long for self-glorification. And verse 3 is a bit of a key. We were gratifying our flesh, is what God's Word says. So the sarks, the very fleshly body, we have this self-centered human nature. And our hearts were like little computers constantly running scenarios and equations. How does this benefit me? What am I going to get out of this? How does this outcome benefit my bottom line in life? God's word goes as far as to say we were here by nature. No one learned these behaviors. You didn't have to go to like bad kid school when you were four years old. You grow up with this downloaded within. Anyone who has parents can testify and say amen. I see you. We were here by nature. We don't like talking about the wrath of God, but we demand the wrath of the state, don't we? We don't like talking about the wrath of God, but whenever there's an injustice, we demand for some wrath to come through and heal the situation. Where do we think we even get this concept? Of course this comes from the God who made us. And apart from Jesus Christ, my dear friends, we were spiritually dead. This, weirdly, this could even be most helpful to some Christians in the room seeking to do things for God, but tempted, maybe like me, to depend on their own flesh. Can we, just, can we just come home to this afresh this afternoon? There was a time when each and every one of us who calls themselves a Christian, when we were utterly insensitive to God, and it was only the grace of God that came through. Can you just like... Settle into the themes of these three verses again. The focus is not merely on how bad we are. The focus of the verses is on how helpless we were. 
It wasn't just like, oh, you kind of had some stuff going on. The, the, the focus is there was no way out. It was bad, and there was, there was no other outcome that could be achieved. Friends, let's see our problem. Let's see the problem for what it really is because it's intended to lead us out to that hopeless position because if we're in that hopeless position, then we're actually ready for faith. The world, the flesh, the devil, these three prison guards who are holding us captive in spiritual graves, walking around us with the chant, you are sinful, you are stuck, you are stuck in your life and situation without God. Let's just come back to it. Let's remember it. We were helpless captives to this terrible trinity of tyrants, ensuring that we could not escape death. If you think you can get out, if you think you're strong enough, just try to beat any one of these guards at their game, and you're sure to fail. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So we just come home to what the Bible says. These are the dynamics of spiritual death. Here's a taxonomy. Here's vocabulary to understand the people you work with understand your grumpy neighbors it's right here the world dominating people from without the flesh dominating people from within and the devil dominating people from beyond and here's why we need to work work through this when God's grace is presented to us when the when when the fact of God's love is is shared when the gospel is just proclaimed, it will never sound like good news unless we first rightly understand the bad news. We'll never be ready to marvel. We'll never be ready to worship. We'll never be ready to be led by a group of people that give time during the week to prepare and to lead us on the weekend if we just breeze in here thinking it's not that bad. I mean, when you really think about it, God's kinda, God kind of ought to be grateful that he has me on his team. Surely we're not going to say that out loud, but come on. Like we, we know the things that can actually get kind of propped up in our hearts. So let's go on with it then. We remember, we remember we are spiritually alive because of Jesus Christ. This was the word that a group of recovering folks in Ephesus needed to hear. And this is the word that we need to hear this afternoon. Fight, fighting off these sin patterns, fighting off these addictions, there's things that we say with our mouths that as soon as they leave, we wish we could grab them and bring them back, but the damage is already done. There's things that we do to one another that we wish could be different, but we just can't have a way with it. We come back to this. We remember we were dead apart from God, and God has made us alive in Jesus Christ. And when we sit in this and when we allow our souls to steep in this, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, you were then changed on the very spot from one degree of glory to the next. How do I change? How do I become different? It's not by adding a podcast and adding a book and adding a seminar and adding some sacrifice to our life. That stuff's good. That stuff just won't change you. We go deeper into the gospel that we have. We're not going beyond the gospel. It's not like I got the gospel. I'm going to kind of move on to something else in the Christian life. Paul's big idea to a group of recovering addicts, here's the gospel. Go deeper in it, my friends. So let's go deeper in it this afternoon. Consider what you see in verses 1 through 5. We were dead in our sins, but God made us alive with Christ. Allow your heart just to rise as the Spirit of God lifts it as you look at these words this afternoon. We were all children of wrath. By nature, we were so rebellious that we were headed to hell. There was no injustice. There was nothing inappropriate about it. We were simply children of 
of wrath. And to make you alive, God has taken out your heart of stone and he's replaced it with a heart of flesh. And you're going to see he did that in his love for you. Not a sense of duty over you. Not a sense of having to get something out of you in this world. In his love for you, he has moved towards you in this way. To make you alive, he's, he's done a wonderful thing. And God did this. If I did this, if you did this, we would spend all of eternity praising ourselves for that thing we did that time. We didn't do this. We don't achieve this. We don't accomplish this. Salvation isn't a gift or isn't a gift that we have to work for to make our Father happy. It's a gift of His grace that He just gives to His children out of love. So look at verse 5. Why did He break this sentence? By grace you have been saved. Why break it up like that? I think this is a question for us in our community group on Wednesday night. It works perfectly fine without this. Why butt this into the middle of the sentence? By grace you've been saved. Why add this? It's an invitation, my friends, for us to lean in. He got stuck in the middle of the sentence. He was going to say something, but he just had to pause, and he just had to say a thing. God did it to make it crystal clear. Our salvation is by grace and grace alone. Grace, my friends, it is not God's response to our human initiative. Grace is God's riches at the expense of Jesus Christ. It cost God to love us and show us his love, and the cost is Jesus Christ. So Paul here is focusing on the power that it took to get you saved, and it's his love. Can we just, can we just have a moment to let that in? It was his love that he moved towards us in and saved us. Look at the beautiful truth. We were dead in our sins, but God made us alive in Jesus Christ. It goes on in verses 2 and 6. We were slaves to a foreign power, but God raised us and seated us with Christ. So let's think about it. When you were converted, God began to make you homesick to heaven so you wouldn't get too attached to this world. Colossians 3.3 says we have died with Christ and our life is hid with Christ in God. So God is our new home. Heaven is now going to begin to govern our taste. Heaven is going to begin to govern our speech. Heaven is going to begin to govern our affections. Verse 6 says God raised us up. Uh, the best translation for that is probably what happens to your smartphone when you plug it in at night. It's synced up with the cloud, this thing out there that you're just trusting is going to hold, you know, all the photos and videos. That's what God did to you. When he saved you, he synced you up with Christ who is in heaven. Everything that is true of him before the Father is now true of you right here. Everything that he has is getting credited and downloaded right to your account. All that old stuff, all that bad stuff, all the other things that were on your phone when you're ashamed of, they get credited, they get imputed over to him, and you get nothing but the best of him that remains. That's what verse 6 says. He synced us. He raised us. Christ is raised to the right hand of the Father. And our lives are now synced with him. What helpful news to tell a group of recovering people. People with addictions. People that say things they don't mean to say. People who hurt people. People that hurt people and regret it and hurt people and don't even think. This is what God has done. He has done this with you. In his love. He's done these things over you. And what we really need to change is we sit in this, we reflect in this, we remember this, and remembering it actually changes the order and constitution of our hearts. We begin to want things we didn't want before. We begin to desire things we didn't desire before. And our lives are reordered and changed. 
Verses three and seven, they take us home. We were addicted to our desires, but God loved us, God saved us, and now he intends to spend his kindness on us for all of eternity. There's so much here, so let's, let's slow down the pace and walk it out. We live in a culture of excess where the great sin is repression. Here's hope. In kindness, sometimes you can show grace by uh, disciplining your child. In heaven, though, it's all kindness. You ever think about that? Maybe somebody in here today just has a wrong idea in their mind about heaven. It's like heaven's that place you're going to go and you're going to have to shore up that last bit of debt that Jesus can't clear. I'm going to have to get there. It's going to be great, but I'm going to have to have a few awkward conversations with the Father about some of that stuff. And we're not resting fully enough in the fact that God has cleared the debt fully in Jesus Christ. And all that's waiting on you, Christian, when you get to heaven is the kindness of your God. The kindness of your God. So if you had to pick anyone in, in the universe to show you kindness, you would be a fool not to pick God, your creator, to be the one to show you kindness for all of eternity. Let's unpack this one a little bit. We're, we learned that he's going to do something with this word, immeasurable riches. You, you might know some wealthy people here in London. If you don't know them, you walk past their house, right? But God is, God is richer than all the people that are just borrowing some of his homes on loan for a few years. God's rich. God's like rich, rich, mega rich. How rich is God? He is going to take his people aside in eternity. And the Bible right here in verse 7 says, in his kindness, he is going to spend his riches on you, showering it on you, pouring it out on you, making sure he, you know he loves you and he's for you for all of eternity long. That's something to hope for. In the coming ages, in the eternity to come, he is going to show the immeasurable riches of his grace towards us in Christ. And Christian, your God, as you're tempted by all these other little gods, as you feel the gravitational pull of all these other little forces and ideologies on your life, you can rest assured this afternoon, your God will take you aside one day and he will never run out of resources. He will never run out of ideas about how to satisfy you and how to make you happy. He is rich and God's word says he intends to spend his richness on you for all of eternity. He is going to show you the many different ways that because of Jesus Christ, he loves you, he's for you, the record is clear, the relationship is tight, and for all of eternity, all eternity long, not like a few minutes, but we're talking a few thousand years, and we're talking a few eons beyond that, and we're talking millennium, and millennium, and millennium's going to click by, and you're going to be lost in wave after wave after wave of his kindness washing over your life. That's something to hope for. He will never run out. He is ever satisfying. He is ever sufficient. He is full of ideas about how he's going to take us there. And he will bring you to a place where you will be able to enjoy him in everything and you will be able to enjoy him in everything. And for all of eternity, it will be you and him. Better than that, it's going to be us together as a community of people being made new by grace.
So maybe I could just pronounce this over anyone this afternoon who's in a battle with their sin. Let me just try to say this to you. God has raised you up and God has seated you in the heavenly places. And though it just looks like a normal phone, it's got new content in it. And you can rest assured. And though it just looks like the same old tired thing, God is doing something new in here. And you can trust him for it. You can even look for it and you can start to live in it. If you fought a battle when you've returned home, the place that you would sit in would be the place of honor. The Bible says that someone is already seated there and his name is Jesus. It doesn't mean that we've been raised from the dead right now. It means something with our spiritual status. That same spiritual status that was counted dead is now seated with Jesus Christ. It means you were legally seated with him there. So brothers and sisters, maybe especially the sisters in the room, when the accuser comes your way and he wants to whisper another lie into your ear, you can know legally, I'm, I'm a different woman. That's been dealt with. I'm in a new place. And he's done it. Knowing that God's worked in your spiritual history shakes your identity. Beginning to conclude. So just, just think here, the question, how do we change? You've got to go back into the full exposition of who you were before Christ, the full exposition of of what Jesus has done for us. John Stott pastored two and a half miles right over there at Oxford Circus. He, said, he once said, the essence of sin is us substituting ourselves for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. That's what it comes home to. The essence of sin is you and me alike putting ourselves in places where only God deserves to be, where the essence of God's salvation is God putting himself where only we deserve to be. Do you want to be done with your self-centeredness? Do you want to be done with your pride? Do you want to be done with your desire to control the world? Consider Jesus. He looked at your life and as Taiwo beautifully prayed, he became your servant. He took your place. My dear friends, remembering and believing the gospel, this is the explosive and expulsive power that will cause those other things to flow out of your life. This contradicts every other teaching in the world. No other ideology is going to come close to this. If, 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 if you accept God's offer as gift, your life will surely change. Richard Lovelace says it like this. Only a fraction of the present body of professing believers are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. What we do is we have this. And we're not just, we're not daily solidly appropriating this. We're not waking up in the morning and situating ourselves in these two towers of truths. This is who I was. This is who I am. Now I'm going to move into my day. In their day-to-day existence, they rely on their sanctification for their justification. Few know how to start each day with a thoroughgoing stand upon Luther's platform that says you are accepted by your God. And then looking outward in faith and claiming the holy alien of Christ, righteousness of Christ as your grounds for acceptance. Relaxing in that quality of trust, which will produce increasing sanctification as faith is active in love and gratitude. How do we change? My friends, you don't have to go home tonight and download another book on your Kindle and just get busy working that out. You don't have to get on a new podcast stream. Stuff's fine. I'm not knocking it. Stuff's indeed supplemental and helpful, right? I have multiple degrees in theology. I'm about that life. But how do we change? 
We go into this powerful gospel by which God saved us. We meditate on it and we steep in it and we constantly appropriate it. The fact of our badness humbles us in our pride. God's great salvation, it lifts us up. And as we steep in it, the Apostle Paul promises we're changed on the spot from one degree of glory to the next. You'll notice, maybe you caught it, uh, we actually skipped a verse in all of this. Supposed to teach God's word straight through, and we intentionally skipped one bit. And it's that one bit I just want to give you as we conclude. Because the first three verses, they talk about how bad it was before Jesus. Uh, it was verses 5, 6, and 7. They talk about how good it is because of Jesus. So I just want to leave you with this one verse. It's right there in verse 4. Remember that, but God. Rest in that. I mean, that's how you bridge that gap. That's how we got from the sin to the salvation. It wasn't, but, no, it was but God. We got to rest in this. God calls his people to do a lot of things. God could have called his people out of Ephesus. God could have said, we're just bombing this place. Everybody out. God could have said, we're just going to let this one run amok. Everybody out. God calls his people to do a lot of courageous things. He calls us to welcome people when they're a bit outsider to us. He calls us to play our part in our, in our role in the mission. He calls us to love people that we feel like are unlovable. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll walk through these situations as a church family, and we'll want to respond to God, God, but I, or God, but we, and we would forget the important two words in this whole paragraph of Scripture, but God. Time and time again, my dear friends, God butts himself into our lives and our situations when it seems most dark. It seems like everything's falling apart. It seems like it's just not there. God keeps showing up at just the right time. He keeps showing up at just the right moment. We just almost failed out our leadership for the last time, and God just slides right in again. We've almost just offended that one person beyond the point of ever being able to recover, and God just comes right into that situation when our hearts have been damaged and broken and beat up and stomped on, and we feel like there's going to be no recovering from this, and God just has a way of showing up at just the right time, do not forget these two words from this chapter and consider how God has been butting himself into lives and situations this whole time. And my friends, I'm here to tell you this afternoon, he is not done yet. He is not done with some of you. He is not done with any of us and some of us that feel like this thing is played out. It is timed out. It is overrun. It is overspent. It is almost done. He is not done with us. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for our good. 1 Samuel 23, 14 says David stayed in the desert strongholds in the hills of the desert. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God was running a plan in the midst of that. Psalm chapter 49, verse 17, 15 says, But God will redeem my life from the grave. Psalm chapter 73, verse 26 says, My flesh and my heart, they may fail, but God will never fail. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word will stand forever. Jonah chapter 2 verse 6 says, The roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth barred me over forever, but God brought me up from that pit. 
Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, as he looked at him, he said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are going to be possible. All things. Any sins we got in here today? All things can be conquered with our God. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only one who is seated at the right hand of the Father, has made him known to us. Acts chapter 22, verse 24 says, But God raised him from the dead, defeating forever the agony of death, because it is impossible to keep death on its hold forever. Acts 3.15 says, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You, you can't even kill the son. He's going to raise him from the dead. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. You hear it in Ephesians? While we were still sinners, Christ, he died for us. 2 Timothy 2, 9. For which I am suffering. This was Paul in effort. This was, this was, this was Paul to t- Timothy. Even though I am suffering to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. My friends, I just want to land it for you very simply with this simple idea. Do not put a period in your life where God only intends to carve out a comma. He is not done with you. In your struggle with sin, in your struggle against the world, in your struggle against the flesh, he is not done with you. Our God is the redeeming God who keeps coming again and again and again. So I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to enter into some time to respond to this, be able to minister to one another. We're going to have a ministry team gathered right over here on my left and your right. And if this is your first time to Redeemer, or if uh, you're here week in and week out, um, just let me, let me describe what happens in, in this time. Um, there are some churches where uh, the word's preached, and you kind of sing a quick song. Somebody says amen, and we all scurry off. Uh, we try to do things a little different here, okay? This is some time for us to linger and to allow the spirit of the living God to minister to us as we sit here in the room, okay? So in the next moment, friends are going to be singing. They're going to invite you to stand in just a minute, and you're invited. You're invited to respond to God however he's working in your heart today. Some of you that's going to be standing right where you are, singing and praising God and committing your life wholly to him. For some of you, right where you are, you're going to be asking, the, you're going to be asking God to become your Savior and your Lord. In your own way, in your own language, asking God to save you, asking him to be the king and the boss to give you direction to navigate this world of life. For anyone there, anyone else, you might even want to come forward. Uh, some people who are not special, right? they, they, they are people who have sin in their life. They're just being made new by God. We're just here to minister to one another today. And you don't have to run off. You don't have to carry what you got right there. Wouldn't it be helpful for some of us to even be able to whisper into somebody's ear what's actually going on and have somebody just pray into that with you? Maybe you don't even know what's happening in your life and your story, but you just need the ministry that only God can provide. You come forward. We're here for you. We want to pray for you. We just want to give the love of Christ to you by being people to see you, to hear you, to lay a hand on you, and to pray over your life. We do need to respond to this. So I ask, what needs to change? What sin needs to be confessed to God in this room right now? What truth needs to be received and believed? How has God been faithful to you is a question that I ask. Do you, do I, do we remember God?
some time to respond to this. Let me invite you to stand as our team leads us now.